0: Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 152, gentlemen, hot off the press, Brandon Sanderson book for the first time for both of you. How are we feeling? Uh Elliot, we'll start with you. What's in your hand there?
1: Having a blast. I have, I'll admit, not my copy of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. It is your copy that you have very generously lent to me to read through but what a what a treat what a gorgeous book to go through with all the artwork and the ink colors this is this is something special and to get to read it immediately when it releases like this um i don't know i'm feeling like this is a a, a special reward of some kind
2: yeah like trevor mentioned i think this is the first time we've i've ever read a book on release in general not just like oh for the podcast this is the first time that it's like day of release. Made sure to get my copy of the book and 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 read, you know. And so super excited. I also um I have to admit that I just realized it is Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, not Yumi and the Midnight Painter, which is what I've been <laughs> calling it in my head for since it was announced. So um that's my confession to y'all.
0: Is it it is rather integral to his title that he's a nightmare painter. So I'm yes, glad we it got made that out of the more way.
1: Sense. Made way more sense it, actually okay. reading the book. I, I went through the entirety of the first Mistborn book, calling it the secret empire
0: instead of the final empire. So it is true. And it wasn't yeah, until our final episode of that book that. that we corrected you. Okay. So brand new book. I have gotten the green light from some of our Discord members who have read the whole thing that it is relatively Cosmere spoiler-free. So it is; it the, there are certainly references and things in here to pick up if you've read other things in the Cosmere. But I have gotten the green light that it is okay for both of you, um, to read who have not fully read the Cosmere. Although we're getting there, we're, we are slowly and surely trucking our way through the Cosmere. Um, We are going to be doing chapters 8 through 11 today uh, of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, and we'll be doing 12 through 15 uh, next week if anyone's looking to read along with us. Those are our chapter splits moving forward. I have not read this book yet. I'm reading it new with you guys. So if you have read this book and our chapter splits look a little weird, it's because I'm splitting these chapters simply based on length of chapter, and that is it. Uh, just just read time is the only thing I'm going off of. I have no prior... I'm not looking at, like, the copper mind. I'm not spoiling myself in anything. So if we have an awkward chapter split, you don't need to let me know. Just it will be okay. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, and our chapter splits may be awkward. But that's okay um let's roll intro and then i want to ask elliot if there's any differences between part one published and unpublished but before we do that let's roll the intro All right, before we get into part 2. Elliot, did you notice any significant differences be- between unpublished part 1 and published part 1?
1: Yeah, I noticed a few. I did reread part 1 as soon as I as soon as I got my hands on on the book beginning of July here. I was reading pretty fast, so I'm sure I didn't notice all of the differences between the pre-release chapters that we got what, a year ago now, close to that, which is what we based our previous two episodes right before this on those pre-release chapters. So I was going off of memory, basically, anything that jumped out as me as, hmm, I don't remember that. I would pull back up those release chapters and kind of compare. There were a number of minor changes where we just got a little bit more explanation of something, or uh, one of the things I chuckled at, actually, I noticed in a few places the the tense had changed that he was writing in where a sentence might have been present tense he changed it to past tense or some of the like verb structure changed or or grammar in a couple of places and i just laughed because it reminded me back to like my own high school papers where i constantly was getting that from the, my english teacher you know incorrect tense or tense shifting or, or whatever that feedback looks like in in very red ink on my essays. I was glad to to see I'm not the only one who uh, would write the incorrect tense sometimes. So, lots of lots of good editing I think happened in between those two, which was good. A few a few things I think are worth pointing out. A few differences. If you skipped right to chapter eight and just picked up there, you did miss. A couple of things, one of which I want to read because I think it is pretty key. A few of the minor things we learned in chapter two in this published version, what the actual omen was at Yumi's birth that marked her as such. In the pre release, it was just like, oh, an omen happened. In the published version, it specifically says a, a star fell through the sky, and that was the omen that she was marked as the, the Yoki Hijo. Okay. So that could be not important, but was added information so i noted it down in chapter four it's explained that the trees that that float right the trees fly i I think he might have gotten some feedback that a just the warm air kind of lifting off the ground would not be enough to lift an entire tree off the ground because hoid adds a little bit of explanation on that where he says you've probably been wondering how in the world Thermals are lifting entire trees off the ground. Well, they have specific local adaptations. That's the wording in the book: specific local adaptations. And then he refuses to explain further what okay. that means, whether that's magic, whether that's I I don't know. It doesn't go into any explanation. But basically, it was heavily, heavily hinted at that there's more than just physics going on in the flying trees. Take from that what you will. Okay. Um, let's see. There was an interesting bit in chapter 7 that might be some foreshadowing. Painter it, if you remember back to chapter 7, Painter finds the nightmare that's almost stable and he's able to scare it away. But he doesn't he can't do it with bamboo. Remember? He he tries to paint bamboo because that's kind of his go-to. It doesn't work. Do you guys remember what he tried to paint the the nightmare as that and it ran away? Do you guys remember? I don't. I didn't recall it either until I saw it. He tries to paint the child's mother. Oh, yeah. He tries to paint the child's mother as the nightmare. But in this published version, there's an added little paragraph that goes into an explanation that trying to do that, trying to paint a nightmare into a person is a very dangerous thing to do. Because a person can still harm you. So the implication there I thought might be important. If you paint a nightmare into bamboo, it becomes bamboo, and bamboo is not going to hurt you. If you paint a nightmare into a person, that nightmare can still act against you and maybe come attack you as the person that you just painted it as. That could become important later. Interesting. Interesting. That was not in the pre-release versions either.
2: As a okay. blanket statement, I feel like it's kind of quite the leap to to go from oh bamboo dramas bamboo, and then it doesn't work. You're like um um his mom, you know. Like I feel like that's quite the the jump, which I think is funny.
0: I yeah, I think it's kind of indicative of Nicaro as a person, as a as as a painter, as an occupation, because he goes to the same thing every time, and then when that doesn't work. He's got nothing. And so he just, that's he paints, true. he paints what he sees. He's like, uh, his mom is right there. I'll just paint that. Like, he, he's got one plan and it works 99% of the time. And when it doesn't, he's in trouble and he's got like nothing in his brain. That's pretty funny. That, that's a really Which good I way think... to put
1: it, Trevor. And I think that could actually be a really interesting, like, character development for Nicaro. He's, he's seriously lacking creativity. Right, right. That could be part of his journey. Here is like finding that artist spark again, because all he can do right now is paint bamboo and paint maybe what's in front of him. So, like, are we gonna get to see him rediscover that passion or rediscover that creativity in him? I could see that. Yeah. Uh, Before
2: we dive into chapter eight, I'm gonna piggyback off of that just briefly uh, of just kind of my general thoughts thus far. So. This is our like second ish third ish week of of um covering the book you know we mm-hmm. did part one before the the full book actually released right uh but going from here, my number one question is what's the the plot what's the premise what are what's actually trying to be accomplished right yeah. that's my number one question right now, and so that's a neat neat uh thought Elliot about like you know is he trying to find that artist spark um I I don't think that's the case I think there's going to be something different that would be neat if that kind of becomes the case um and my question has been what what is it what what are we going to see we see a painter end up in Yumi's world and I guess I can open that up to see what y'all think it may be. My only thought right now is he kind of puts up this facade of being a big, strong hero who's here to save the day or something. I don't know where he got that idea from. But wherever he got it from, it's there. And he's not that person which he's kind of projected himself to be, just from what we've seen of his character. Um, And so I'm guessing that it may be some kind of story with that. It's going to be some way that they... I don't know. I imagine they'll both learn an important lesson from each other is my general guess right now. Um and and overcome some form of evil. Maybe this nightmare becomes stable. Who knows. But uh, that's that's been my number one question. Um there's a bit to cover content-wise, but that that's been my number one thought going through here. It's like what am I worried about? What am I looking for, you know?
0: I I want to kind of Add on to that, and then I will give a prediction um, as well. So uh, I put this at the bottom of our outline for this episode, but I'll go ahead and talk about it now because it, it it it's fine to talk about now. I I don't I don't know if it's because I was reading Tolkien during our break um, or not. I've been I've been refreshing myself on a little bit of Tolkien, but we are in chapter eleven by the end of this episode, and we still have no idea what's going on. And I think that's really odd. Like we've got no n- no concept of the stakes. Like we've have, we've have a vague like one line premise of like spirit telling Yumi I need your help, and that's the only thing we have. Like where is the Council of Elrond scene of we, we're sitting down? <laughs> yeah. This is our goal. Like we, we're we're decent ways into this this book, into chapter two or into uh, part two here i don't I don't know what's going on we're still just you know getting our bearings here, and the um, characters are doing so as well so i I wanted to highlight that it's interesting that we're this far um into the book and still don't know what's happening. That being said, I assume that will be end of part two i don't I don't feel like we'll wait that long to figure out. At least what the goal is, how is another question, but I, I feel like I'm waiting to see what what the goal is in the greater picture.
2: Uh, Trevor, I will take your one token moment and raise your token moment. I think it's because we haven't seen the um the Gandalf appearing and informing our protagonist what's going on yet scene if that makes sense right they don't know to go to a council of elrond it's our two characters are just kind of in the dark they're like what the heck is going on and nobody knows and that's just where we are as a reader which is kind of funny uh and and that's a good point yet we're 11 chapters in and i i can't tell you because the
0: premise is because the final empire it's what chapter six that we get that meeting scene where they sit down with the white with the chalkboard um in the way of kings it's chapter 12 but that's a much bigger book than this book chapter 12 is i'm gonna save these bridgemen he makes that decision um and that's like the end of part one um so i just like just compared to the length we're a decent chunk into this and still have no idea what's happening yeah
2: and one brief comment about The Way of Kings is, at least from the get-go, you from from like the very beginning, you kind of know our main character is a prisoner, and you can kind of infer that he's going to try to no longer be a prisoner. Right. Right. And so we kind of have that here. It's just two people living their lives, and and we see, but
1: maybe I digress enough on that. I don't know. I have a thought for you guys. I wonder if you're asking that question because you're an experienced Cosmere reader at this right. point. And, and that's what you're after. That's what I'm asking the same question too. How, how does this piece of the puzzle fit into the larger Cosmere? What, what am I, what can I learn about what's going on here on these planets that tells me about the magic systems and shards and whatever else is going on? I, I wonder if this book might be the answer to a question I've started asking recently. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast or not, but I know Trevor, I've talked about this with you. My, my question now that I've read a good chunk of the Cosmere, it has started to become, is Brandon going to write new entry points into the Cosmere? Yeah. Or is the more he writes, the longer the kind of linear line is going to get. And as a new reader, you're always going to have to kind of, Start way back here and read, you know, 12 books before you can read the newest book that comes out. I wonder if this book right here is a bit of an answer to that, where it's written with the new reader in mind as a new entry point. And so we're not going to get into a bigger how do we save the world moment as early as we would or kind of the the bigger picture lore of what's going on maybe it's like halfway through the book that we learn about what they're supposed to do to solve whatever the spirit wants them wants them to do that's my theory at this point that, that all this is intentional
2: yeah well i guess we i guess that's a, the ultimate read and find out question what's the plot of yeah. this book whenever <laughs> we're in like the beginning of part two i guess that's a that's a pretty easy raffle. Rapho- Should we uh, go ahead and dive
1: into our chapters, or what do you think, Elliot? Before we do that, real quick, there was just one more change from the pre release chapters that I wanted to mention because it reveals some, I think, important information about our narrator here, which, speaking of larger Cosmere implications, is someone who I think we're all probably very interested in. And that's, of course, of course, of course, Hoid. (laughs) <laughs> says, of course Hoyd. of course wow words okay at the beginning of chapter six the, the public the published version adds like five paragraphs that are not in the pre-release version wow. so if you if you skipped straight to chapter eight picking this up please go back and reread the beginning of chapter six because there's a bunch of information about Hoyd. Here, I actually want to go ahead and read the first paragraph to you guys and, and get your thoughts. This is, this is Hoyd speaking, of course, as our narrator. All right, let's talk about me. Uncharacteristically, I don't want to discuss the topic. This isn't a bright point in my career, and I would rather the attention be on less statuesque people for the duration of the narrative. That said, I know it's going to distract some of you unless I explain at least a tad. By the way, that's Brandon speaking to us right there, as I know you guys are going to get distracted by Hoyt, so let me explain real quick. What had happened to me? I don't know. It's complicated. I arrived on the planet and immediately froze in place, unable to move. Was I aware? Yeah, at first. As the months passed, my senses began to dull. I fell into a kind of trance, unaware, almost asleep. And he kind of goes on to explain a couple more things about like how he knows this story that he's sharing. But we had very specifically pondered on the idea of why is Hoyt there? Why is he frozen as a statue? He doesn't quite answer that, but he at least says it was instantly upon his arrival on the planet. He, boom, appears and frozen. What is up with that?
0: Interesting. Man, it's I almost didn't... like. I didn't think this would happen again, but there is information that I would like to share that I am not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um so Okay, okay. That, Mr. Big Shot Trevor again. And it has his to, knowledge. It has to do with the book that's behind me right here. I don't know if you can tell which one that is, but uh interesting. Okay. It's tress of Secret the emulsie. One. And that is tress. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting.
1: I, it almost sounds to me like a Hoid specific trap, like someone, it was specifically thinking about world hoppers and somehow set up a trap to catch world hoppers. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: I bet we'll learn more as it goes. And then I, okay, second question, follow up to that. I wonder if design, I wonder if he dropped in in the noodle shop, and that's where he's been, or if Design specifically moved him to the noodle shop as a coat hanger. Like, like I gotta use him somehow, so I'm going to drag him to the city and leave him here. Interesting. I like The latter like is more like hilarious.
2: That yeah, I was gonna say, I like to
1: think that that's what happened. Well, if you're gonna stand there and do nothing, you might as well come hold coats at my noodle shop. Right. Exactly.
2: Pepper, do you want to kick us off in,
0: sure in these in these chapters? All right, so the entrance of part two here um both characters are trying to get their their bearings, and I think through that through that lens we actually get more descriptive uh sentences of more than what we're used to with Brandon Sanderson's books. We, he sits there and describes the scene fairly well, I think for like a couple paragraphs through, um, through Painter's Eyes in chapter eight. And then in chapter nine, it's more of an internal dialogue with Yumi of what the heck is going on. Um, but it's convenient that we get to swap over to Painter um, in chapter eight. Actually, I think chapter seven is also Painter. So we get two Painter in, Painters in a row. Um, and he gets to describe this relatively earth-like scene to us. It's certainly more earth-like than what he's used to. So he gets to describe some oddities um that he sees, but there are no answers to some of our bigger picture questions. We just get a couple chapters here of Yumi and Painter staring at each other trying to figure out what the heck is happening. So i don't know did did you guys do you guys enjoy this like completely out of your elements awkward like why what are you doing in my bedchamber like dialogue between the two of them like so I'm i'm enjoying the i'm enjoying the exploratory
1: maybe style or format of this and where you know painter comes to yui's planet and he's Having to discover and figure out a lot of things that we've already been explained in part one, it's I like it for the reasons, Trevor, you just touched on and that it gives us a a good explanation of what's going on. It could get a little monotonous if it keeps going, but I think so far it's read – it reads very quickly. And so even though there's been a fair number of scenes where it's just kind of painter figuring out stuff that we already know, it's read fast enough that it hasn't bothered me
2: that's a really good way of putting it so we as the reader know that there is some connection between these planets and and i guess painter kind of points that out right away which is kind of surprising he's like that star up there i think that's my home yeah i wanted to talk about that almost kind of almost kind of odd but aside from that aside from that we know that there's some connection between these planets and these characters and we know that our characters should I, I would say should figure out by the end of the book maybe what that connection is or what the purpose of their connection is. Um, that's a big question mark for us right now, but we know that. And so for that reason, I am enticed in the storyline. It's you know I'm very engaged. Right. I mean from the start I, I was excited because I I if you've listened to us for a while you know I love the the early. Brandon Sanderson interludes where you're like jumped all the way across a world to some character who makes no sense in the storyline, right? And just, I want to know how these pieces connect. So I've been really engaged for that reason. Um, as far as like what's going on, it feels like it reads fast, like Elliot was saying, like we're learning this stuff very quickly, but it is like, it doesn't feel very pertinent. At the moment, it is the characters are figuring out what's going on. But um, a lot of just kind of, I mean, interesting stuff. I know Trevor's going to give me a hard time about the ritual bathing scene. I can't wait. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, all all that being said, we kind of see that there are some things that I think are really curious. So where I have less to take away from the actual storyline there's a lot of tidbits which are interesting i'm gonna skip a little bit forward to the like a little bit in chapter nine i think it is can i stop you right there and talk about
0: eight real quick just real quick yes i think i think brandon is very has an interesting approach here there are two big questions that we came out of part one with is what are the mechanics of like the orbits and like the the star like we, we made the um we made the assumption that the stars are each other's planets fairly quickly second one is then how do we how do we fix whatever the problem is with the spirits brandon sanderson in chapter 8 just straight up answers one or at least nicaro starts talking about one like directly um, and then the second one, is, they start asking as well, and they get zero answers on. But I just think it's really interesting that Brandon Sanderson assumes and knows his readers, and knows what they will, what we will ask, um, and then just starts addressing them, like right off the bat. And if he's very clearly saying, "You're getting an answer to this one. You're not getting an answer to this one. So pay attention to this one because this one's going to be important. I, I'm going to answer this one for you now." um but i think it was very odd that nikaro wakes up in yumi's carriage looks out the window and says oh there's my planet like he hasn't really looked around at all yet and just immediately g- jumps to that conclusion of i'm on another planet that's mine up, up in the sky like i feel like you got to be pretty have your wits about you quite well to in order to get, get to that conclusion that quickly
1: it's a interestingly a more misborn way of telling the story than a Stormlight Archive way of telling the story, which is fascinating. That is is Brandon tapping back into his roots a little bit of more of that. I'm going to give you the answer right now, sort of thing. Anyway,
0: cool, cool, cool tidbit. Yeah, there's no uh, dark dark sphere in the corner that we won't even talk about for three books, unfortunately. <laughs>
2: I don't know if I'm sad that there's not that, or if I'm really relieved that there's not that aspect. Anyways, uh, that's a really good point, Trevor. It, and, and like you said, it is very much kind of the Mistborn way of going through the story. Like, we have things kind of spelled out for us right away. We're not just left wandering the whole time. However, there is stuff I'm wondering about, right? Like Trevor said, one, some of the elements are very unanswered. Um, but some things I think are pretty curious which i don't know exactly what to do with yet that's the fun part of this podcast i get to come and tell y'all and then y'all throw ideas out and we usually arrive at some ridiculous conclusion um so when painter and yumi whenever they ever make contact with each other it's described as like really big like really distinct heat warmth tingling like it just feels really ridiculous and like crazy a painter describes it as it feels like touching one of the heon lines on his planet yeah the two lines which we and from my understanding it's their investiture some way shape or form and so that makes me wonder that that just raises a lot of questions in my mind which i could rabbit trail down for a long time but for the purpose of being relatively um, respectful of time. <laughs> what are your general first thoughts on, on what this could mean? My guess is it's some kind of weird... I th- I think it's some weird stretch of like a Nile Bond thing. Some really, like really, really odd glad you stretch that up. of investiture in that way.
0: Okay, so big stormlight spoilers we we've been minor stormlight spoilers here but big big ones here for a second there and i and i don't know if this is like a prediction or just kind of an observation i think we are going to learn a lot about capital c connection in this book and i there's a couple things that i want to talk about in this scene that kind of ties in here because Yumi and Painter are obviously Capital C connected. I think I think there's a already a mention of Capital C connection, maybe even in part one, uh in chapter seven or so or chapter eight, I don't remember. But um they can read and speak each other's languages, uh which I'll get back to in a second. There's this really odd, like yeah, well, Painter describes it as touching a heel line. Yumi describes it as like a warm bath or like an electrifying, like tingling when she touches um, Painter, and it's obviously not just like teen awkwardness. I do oh, I touched a girl on the shoulder or whatever. It's it's clearly like investiture or something happening here, um, and I don't know what the big implications are. However. Our previous Capital C connection in Stormlight, um, and there's a little bit in Mistborn, but it's not as well spelled out, and I think that's simply because of publication date um, of Mistborn, but in Stormlight it is definitely spelled out, and Dalinar, when he's discovering his powers as a bondsmith and manipulating connection, he can go to another country, and speak their language just by touching them. Do you remember that?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: He goes, he, he jumps through his oath portal, touches the guy on the shoulder, guy like freaks out, why are you touching me? And then Dalinar starts speaking his language. I think that's extremely relevant here. Now, I don't think either one of them are a bondsmith or have a nail bond or whatever, but I think it's an interesting concept to consider. What if two people tried to make a bond such as a Nehil bond. Not a person and a spren, a person and a person from another planet. And I think that might be what we are just going to be talking about and discovering through this book. That's a prediction or an observation, whatever you want to talk about there.
1: I like that train of thought a lot in that paragraph that I, that I read about from Hoyd later on in that section. He mentions connections specifically, which is what you might have been thinking about. So I think you're absolutely on to something there. I think the languages may have already been explained to us in, in part one. I don't remember exactly where, but I think there was a section that specifically talked about the languages being from a common root and how that the, the two languages are different, but they come from a similar past. And so that may explain why they can talk to each other and read each other's stuff. But that said, I don't think that dismisses any of your connection theory that you got going there. We'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that.
2: I think that's a good point that you raised with the capital C connection, by the way, Trevor.
0: And just as a concept with the capital C connection, it's very vague in Stormlight so far. Like We get a couple mechanics spelled out to us by the Stormfather, but the Stormfather specifically is like, I'm not allowed to tell you. You have to find out for yourself. Like, he's very cagey with Dalinar. And so if we get to learn specific rules about capital C connection, I'm actually really going to really enjoy that. And that could give us some cool implications going into a book, hopefully coming out uh, next year.
2: So true. Um, I do have to add, you said the the... We think that their contact is somehow correlated to this, like, connection, or there's something going on. It's obviously not just, like, some teen, awkward, I touched a girl, is exactly how you described it, I think. But I have to say, just the way the scene is written, it definitely still has that element in addition to... There is certainly part of that, that, yes. In addition to the investiture at play. Right. um, Which which was really funny. um,
0: But... I mean, there's there's some more blatant tension moving into this next chapter, if you'd like to talk about it. Go ahead, Paul. You can lead us off for Chapter 10, if you'd like.
2: All right. So here we have Chapter 10, where um, <laughs> we have a very um, not awkward scene of... Yumi and Painter awkwardly asking each other not to peek at one another and then both peeking at one another while they have to take a ritual bath together. Um, so if you are just tuning into our podcast for the first time, um, I've been kind of – not I don't know why you'd be tuning in for the first time right now. Well, I mean, it's a new book, so that explains it, point blank. Um, I've kind of had jokes, uh, a long-running joke, that any of our kind of like love scenes, right – it just normal, normal like romance scenes through any of the books that we've read. I'm like, eh, that's kind of uh, I don't. I'm not a big fan of reading through it. It's okay. Like, let's just get to the action and the other stuff, you know. And so this scene was a bit of a stretch for me, but uh, we were just fine. It merely took me by surprise. That's all. Uh-oh.
0: It also took me by surprise. I <laughs> I've been under the impression that. If Brandon Sanderson were ever to ever get his works adapted, Secret Projects may actually be a good way place to start. And I'm going to rescind that uh, uh, opinion after reading this one. I, audience. I don't. I don't want to see this adapted as as I written. Agree. I'll be honest. It, like just. I agree. Just write it so that Yumi ha- can have a ceremonial robe on during the bath, and all of this is solved. All you have to do is have just like your under un- undergarment on, and that's allowed, and then this whole scene is fine.
2: I mean, that's that's fair. That's fair. It's uh, if they made an adaptation of this versus Miss Born, for example, it would go from I don't know whatever other station like Netflix to HBO. You know, this <laughs> is the scene sounds more like an HBO scene. Uh, so, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, oh, something, something else to bring up. So, my understanding is, at this ritual bath, the others on Yumi's planet—I'm blanking on their names off the top of my head—but the others, that these other like ritual people who help Yumi do her job and she reports to her or
0: whatever—they
2: mm-hmm. are seeing Painter as Yumi. Is correct. that right?
0: Yes, that is correct.
2: They are seeing painter as Yumi, which is a whole other little—not di- little—a whole other dimension of odd here that I have haven't the slightest clue, other than maybe some connection. I don't know uh, that they're actually the same person. Like I don't know, same soul split in two. I don't know something ridiculous you could see there, but I have no explanation for this. And well, it's kind of crazy.
0: But then we get a wrench in that format in the very next chapter as Yumi yes. answers Nikaro's door, and it's Yumi. So what on Earth... They see Yumi. Correct. What on? Do they
2: see Nakaro? I, I don't know if I really understood that. If they so, could
0: see Nikaro or if he was invisible. So on Yumi's planet, Nakaro is the one who can interact with people, and they see Yumi. On Nikaro's planet... Yumi is the one who can interact with people and they still see Yumi so as far as like everyone else is concerned Nicaro is gone on both planets and Yumi is on both planets at the same time yeah I got
1: nothing (laughs) I'm really stuck on this too because leading into this we had a really strong sense of this opposing opposites theme everything had an opposite there's another piece that's does the opposite of whatever the other piece does we've got our our blue and magenta he on lines. everything seems to have a pair, and then all of a sudden, our opposites don't match anymore. It's Yumi's body on both planets, but Yumi's spirit in one and painter on the other. like what
0: And there's also another caveat to this rule in that and that both of them notice this because we're in Nikaro's head, Yumi is affected by the water. She's not affected by anything else. She can walk through walls. She can walk through tables and furniture, but she, when they take the ritual bath together, she gets wet and her incorporeal clothes get wet as well. When she puts them back on, because she can't use a towel because anyway, um, and Nikaro also notices that when she gets out of the bath, that like, the water is affected as you would expect an actual person getting out of the water like sloshes and splashes a little bit so i other than pointing out these differences i don't really know what to make of these i'll be honest i i wish i could come up with a prediction and maybe i can by the end of the episode but i i don't know why we're seeing yumi on both planets and what this means
2: I agree. It's 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 honestly just a really big mystery right now.
0: That I haven't the brain to um figure out. I I assume it has something to do with the cognitive realm and how it's interacting with both of these planets. That's a big statement, and I don't have anything else to add, <laughs> but um I assume it has something to do with perception and the cognitive realm but i don't that's half a thought
1: i'm wondering if it has to do with these spirits that yumi is talking to the spirits seem to have some control over the physics of the planet you can bind the spirit such that it creates like flying device so that it defies gravity you can it creates light whatever it, it's almost like there's spirits here actively controlling or influencing what's going on. So it's almost like they're letting Yumi interact with the water, but not anything else. Almost like an active presence, like deciding what's going to interact with and what won't. Totally yep. a guess. I just to weigh in on the uh, awkward bathing scene discussion before we move on from that. I I was a little a little caught off guard too, but I will say. I felt more awkward in Warbreaker Me too. than I did here. This was I agree. this was awkward, but it was like keen, silly, awkward. There it were wasn't... scenes in Warbreaker where I like, you know, had to pause my reading for a second and was like, okay, am I gonna keep reading this? You know, moment? Like there was dangerously awkward. Whereas this was more, I I don't the last one was more like, Warbreaker was more tense and serious, awkward. This was more just kind of playful, silly awkwardness in a lot of ways. So, like, I I may have blushed a few times reading this, but I, I didn't, like, feel overly uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, This felt a lot lower stakes than Warbreaker did. You know, Warbreaker, I was scared for something really, like, Vile and like a life to be threatened kind of scenes that were also really awkward and, and graphic, you know. Uh, and this and was quick, more like, you, uh,
1: yeah. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Sorry.
2: Oh, I, I was just going to say, and this was just kind of more ridiculous and goofy, and yeah. what the
1: heck is going on, you know? Yep. And I will say, if you haven't read Warbreaker, keep reading through those moments. There, there are. The story goes a direction that's a very positive one, and and one that's worth reading. So don't don't take my snippet there as a reason to not read Warbreaker. Keep reading it. But this one was manageable, but yes, rather awkward through moments
0: here. Elliot, you said that you blushed while reading it. I think we need a blush counter um, for this book <laughs> because that word is used quite often in for. I think in yumi's internal dialogue specifically and i wanted to kind of highlight this whole episode in that painter seems a little bit more composed about this whole thing than yumi and i just wanted to highlight that because yumi's the one who's used to spiritual and religious things happening and that is not a part of painters background at all so and at least externally painter tries to stay stoic and you know Hoyd kind of makes fun of him like he's pouting like a four-year-old instead of being like the cold-hearted warrior that he thinks he is but at least he's trying yumi is completely out of sorts and just has so many different emotional reactions to this all across the board she gets scared and angry and uh happy and like all sorts of different things that um i i thought that was interesting that if there's anyone who should be slightly okay with this it would be yumi because she's talked to spirits all her life and the should have no idea what's going on
1: it, it highlights again talking big picture and theme of the book where this is going i think it's starting to highlight this difference between yumi and painter in that Yumi hairs. She cares deeply about her life and her purpose, whether it's misguided or or correct. I think that's another part of the book we're going to get into is the you know religion and maybe the breaking away from religion. We'll see where that goes. But Yumi just really believes in something. And so to break from that is like soul shattering for her. Right. And so when Nikaro comes over and is abusing the rituals or especially the moments where he doesn't care. Those seem to be the painful ones for her is innocent mistakes. Sure. Fine. But when he intentionally ignores the ritual, it really bothers Yumi really bothers her. Whereas in chapter 11, when we switch back to painter's planet painter, just like he's freaking out when Yumi is destroying his relationship with a cane or whatever her, her name is. Akane. But he at the same time, Akane, is that how it is? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I like I like that better. When when Yumi is porching his reputation in front of Akane, Yumi's like, ah, why did you do that? But but then it pivots straight into like, well, screw it. She didn't really like me anyway. He he very quickly goes to more of an apathy point yeah. of view. He yeah. he very quickly slips into, well, the rest of my life is a wreck anyway, so why does it matter? Whereas Yumi is is bothered to the core. And so Painter can kind of roll with it a little bit more than Yumi can because she cares so much more than he does.
0: It's a great way to put it. I think it's really interesting how quickly Yumi has, like, an outburst of temper. Even, like, she, she's very subservient to these spirits, and for all, all she knows, and she calls Painter a spirit, but when... Nikaro's completely messing up these rituals. Yumi gets very angry very quickly within one chapter. Um and in chapter 11 as well when she's uh when she finds out that he's lying or uh, untruths like she she doesn't even use the word lying like she have you been telling me untruths painter? Um and then she goes into a fit of rage and goes and stacks something which is which is funny. Um, it goes and stacks his dirty bowls next to the sink. I enjoyed. I that was scene. gonna
2: say, I thought that was, I thought that was really, really funny. It was. She's like so stressed out of her mind. She's on this different planet. She's so confused, and her perspective, right? Like Elliot kind of mentioned, and we've seen from reading this, her perspective is very like. Her purpose is summoning these spirits, and that is the only thing that she does and worries about. That is like her only group like, over So she is so stressed. And so I think it's really funny. Her stress, um, I guess, coping mechanism is I need to stack and just goes and stacks these bowls. I thought that was really funny and just absolutely ridiculous.
1: I'm going to use that line next time I'm in an argument with someone when I just get
0: pressure over with them. Just say, I need to stack really something. Stressed I
1: need to. Storm out
2: of I got to st- I gotta stack something. Yeah.
0: Any big questions coming out of this episode, gentlemen?
2: I'm I'm curious no. to see kind of where it goes. I'm wondering if so... our next set of chapters we might get a better vision of what what we're what we're here for, what we're doing still. Because, like we mentioned at the start of our episode here, that that was that was kind of the number one one question, I, I guess, concern
1: <laughs> uh, of what's going on. Take that back. I do have questions. Two main ones. One minor. How do they tell time on Painter's planet? If you think about it, they live in darkness. They can't see any stars. There's no sun, no moon. All they can see is a single other planet, which as far as we've been told, I think doesn't really change doesn't move. much yeah. at all. I'm assuming it rotates because there's night and day on Yumi's planet, and so maybe they can use that somehow if they're watching that specifically but like i I think that kind of comes up in chapter 11 where yumi asks like well what time is it and and painter says well i don't know and he flips on the tv checks the tv yeah He, he basically tells time by what tv show is on he says oh it's such and such a show and so therefore it's such and such a day which by the way it had an interesting unique name for the day of the week which i did not write down but i know it was not one of our 7 days of the week did it i didn't catch that i also yeah, was it was sad. like it was like sam day or something like that it was close to that maybe oh. and he like he tells time based on what tv show is on which i thought was really strange bigger question what is triggering their switch back and forth the obvious thing seems to maybe be when they go to sleep like when you go to sleep on painter's planet you just wake up on the other one but i'm not sure that's the case there's been a couple moments where it seems like they've been yanked out of the situation they're in yeah where they've like felt this overwhelming sleepiness overcome them and they either pass out or fall asleep when maybe they normally wouldn't and then they wake up on the other planet is there a is there a pulling mechanism going on here for some reason? Is it when the other bodies on the other planet wake up, it pulls you from this planet? Oh, interesting. I wasn't quite sure we had an answer. I... and like... If, if Yumi's attendance on the other planet, can they, like, not wake her up if it's not time for them to be awake on that planet yet? You know, how
0: does the time work? cross both planets yeah I don't know the when the other body wakes up is an interesting idea because in chapter 11 they wake up to the door pounding to the foreman coming to check on Nakaro so yeah. that could be like a violent like jerk awake and then you're jerked over to the other other body interesting right and it's less like going to sleep and more waking up interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I wish I Was had a it... prediction on that. I really can't think of anything off the top of my head as to what is what is actually sending them from one place to the other.
0: I'll I'll throw a prediction and say it's very deliberate by whatever cosmic or being is in control here. That it's it's way more hands-on than falling asleep and waking up
2: whatever this what's what's the list of all of our shards again is there one that makes sense here (laughs) oh man (laughs) maybe it's a different conversation for a different day but um but i don't know what's controlling
0: what here all right well i am very excited to read more and very much enjoying a brand new sanderson novel uh anything else gentlemen not here let's keep going excited to raffo and learn learn more sounds good thanks for joining me paul and elliot i will see you next week see ya yeah